0: Acts 4, 1 through 14. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word and believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes, Gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Would you please join me as we pray? Lord, you know that we are longing for renewal. We're longing for you to make us new. And we know that you do that by your spirit working with your word. It is a word of life. It is a living word. We ask that you might do that in our midst In Christ's name, amen. Well, we are going to spend two more weeks looking at this topic of renewal. What does it look like for God to make us new? And this week, where I want to focus that attention is on renewed boldness. Renewed boldness. There was an article I ran across uh, that came out a couple years ago in the Huffington Post. And the title was, uh, The Science of Conquering Our Fears. The Science of Conquering Our Fears. And they were talking to different psychologists and neuroscientists. um, Talked to a Stanford neurologist. And and he talked about the importance of exposing exposing ourselves to our fears. That's counterintuitive. But like you got to expose yourself to your fears if you can overcome them. And then a U.S. naval psychologist who had been studying Olympic athletes said, what's key to overcoming your fears is being able to visualize positive outcomes. That these athletes that succeed can do that. Another one said it's really important that you name your fears, that you're able to speak them out loud and say, that's it and then a well-known sociologist, Brene Brown, who uh, some of you have probably heard because of her work on vulnerability. This is what she said. I think the first thing we have to do is to figure out what's keeping us out of the arena. What's the fear? Where and why do we want to be braver? Then we have to figure out how we're currently protecting ourselves from vulnerability. What is our armor? Perfectionism? intellectualizing, cynicism, numbing, control. That's where I started. It's not an easy walk into that arena, but it's where we come alive. This life offers us plenty of reasons to be afraid, doesn't it? I mean, I could give you my list. Plenty of reasons to be afraid, whether it's terrorist bombings, Crime in our neighborhood, something going on with our health, job insecurity, you've got your own things that come to mind. And in many ways, you know, they tie us and they bind us down, like Gulliver in the story Gulliver's Travels. You know, he he ends up on this island and he falls asleep in the grass, and when he wakes up, his arms and his legs and his hair have been tied down with the tiniest little threads, because He's on an island of little people. And it's not until He breaks out of those threads that He becomes the giant in the land. It's not until you and I break free from our fears that we become the giants God intended us to be. But again, those things keep us back. But we should take heart. Because Jesus' own followers were just like us. I mean, if we could rewind Before this event, what in the world happened to these guys? What transformed them into boldness? We could take the example of Peter and his life. This is a little scene from Peter's life just after Jesus was arrested and he was on trial. Some of you are familiar with this. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus, the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. This is the same Peter that is preaching with boldness. And it wasn't just Peter. When Jesus appeared to his disciples, having been raised, where did he find them? Behind a locked door. They were frightened. They were scared, like you and I. And so they had renewed boldness. And what I want to do this evening is talk about that. What does that look like in our own lives? And we'll look through it in two ways, the source of that boldness and the nature of that boldness. Did I just get great in voice? I sound like I I grew, I became bolder in voice. May have just been the sound, but uh, the source of the boldness. Now, in that question, or that quote, rather, that Renee Brown, I read to you, she said, what is our armor? And I think we could put that question another way. What is the source of your boldness? That is, what do you typically go to to feel confident you're walking into a meeting, you're walking into some social scene, it may have been walking into the church for the first time. What do you tend to look to? And there's different things, right? For some of us, it might be body boldness. Our boldness comes from the fact that we're really in shape, or we feel good about the way we look. Now, you see these shampoo commercials, right? Where they, they say that the shampoo will actually result... You know, they use the shampoo and then they move out of life with a swagger. I'm thinking, I want some of that. You know, what is the shampoo that actually enables you to move out into life with such boldness and confidence? It doesn't exist, right? Or another form of boldness might be achievement boldness. The life resume that we've put together. The things that we've accomplished. Or maybe who you know boldness. If there's an important person that you're on a first name basis with. Or it may be majority culture boldness, this invisible boldness that one carries because they're the majority race or the majority class. Or another one might be credential boldness. I've been to the right institutions. I've got the right degrees, the right expertise. That was actually one that the religious leaders really were clinging to. Peter and John are confronted here by basically the who's who of ancient Israel. I mean, there's, there's hardly a group that is not mentioned, the power players in Israel. We hear about the high priest and his family. We hear about the captain of the temple. They were second in command. And then there's mention of the Sadducees. That was the Jewish aristocracy, the high class and they would cooperate with the Romans so they could get the positions in the colonial government. Thereby, they could protect their economic and political interests. Now, interesting, they did not believe in the afterlife. They did not believe in the resurrection, and they did not look for a Messiah. And it makes sense why they were so threatened, because when you, have, you don't have hope anywhere else but here, you will cling to what you have here, because it's all you got. And it becomes a basis for fear in your life. When you become to understand heaven and God, it'll actually release you from your fears because you realize I don't have to clutch and grab to keep everything here. But they were worried. And this is implied in the passage. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They couldn't get around their heads. How can someone that doesn't have the credentials be this bold? And this is very true of our day as well, right? Typically, people in the professional class or that have been educated are tempted to derive their boldness from their credentials. In fact, they, they end up believing that they have a right to that boldness, right? I've gone to the right institutions. I've jumped through the hoops. I've done the right things. Therefore, I'm entitled to have this confidence and boldness. And so in the end, they're really living under, we're really living under a system of government we might call a meritocracy. That's the belief that those with the merit are the ones that should have the power. And our culture would be those that are you know, gifted and educated and beautiful. But in the Gospel, we're given something totally different. We're not ruled by a meritocracy, but a mercyocracy. We come to understand that the mercy of God rules our lives. And we no longer are under this deception that we could stand before God with merit. I, I, imagine yourself for a second having died and standing before God, because all of us will. Imagine yourself standing before God. And here you are before God in His majesty, in His holiness, in His justice, in His goodness, the one that evaluates all of life by, have you loved me, and have you loved your neighbor like yourself? Imagine yourself before Him and going, but God, look at my resume. But God, consider my GPA. But God, this is this degree I got. It's laughable. You're laughing because it's laughable. But many people really do believe that that's how God will reckon things. It's a meritocracy. But the Gospel brings us into something wonderful. A God that understands that we couldn't for a moment stand before Him with merit and mercy, so He sends His one and only Son, full of merit, full of righteousness. And He comes for the express purpose of taking our condemnation and judgment and giving us His righteousness and merit, taking away all our F's and giving us all His A's. So by mercy, you can actually stand before God in confidence and boldness. This is an amazing statement in the New Testament where it says, through Jesus Christ, that we can enter the throne room of God with boldness. Wow! Could you imagine coming before the God of the universe with boldness? This is what the gospel gives people. And of course, that's what it says here. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Why? And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's why they were bold. They had been with Jesus. They had been in relationship with the Jesus that had loved them unconditionally, who had given them their righteousness, rather his righteousness. They'd been in his presence. And nothing will embolden you more. Last night I attended... um, a night of prayer for the persecuted church and several of you were there. It's uh, an event that uh, a member in our church helps uh, sponsor. And during that time, several people uh, that had been, uh, had stories of persecution around the world told their stories. And one uh, man stood up. He was probably in his 20s or 30s, a Muslim man that had converted to Christianity. And he told the story of how uh, after he had converted, he was disowned by his father. He suffered many beatings in the hands of his family. He was actually um, uh, had a family member that sought to kill him, but another one intervened. But then he said, I have to confess to you, though, there was a period of weakness, and I think it was before some authorities. I experienced a period of weakness, and I denied Jesus before them. And he just began to weep. And then someone from the front row who had also been in prison for their faith said to him, No, don't weep. You are forgiven. You have no shame. Peter denied the Lord three times, and he was restored. What a moment of grace. I mean, I think many of us could have stand up and said, I, I denied him. I denied him when I was standing around sophisticated folk, and I was afraid to say, this is what I believe.'" I denied him when uh, the, 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 the views of Christianity were, were crushing or rather conflicting with the views, cultural views of today, and I didn't say anything. You see, it's the grace of God that really makes you bold. Where did Peter's boldness start? It didn't start here. It started when Jesus restored him, when they were reconciled together and he forgave Peter. It's when you understand that God has forgiven you in the deepest part of who you are. When you understand that you have been brought into the relationship, the ultimate inner circle. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they love you with the same love that they love Christ. When you understand that God has adopted you into his family and you are a royal son or daughter when you understand that every spiritual blessing in heaven and earth has been given to you, when you understand that the Holy Spirit of God, God's Spirit that dwelt in Jesus and raised Him from the dead, even lives in you, that's when you get bold. And so what you and I do, we get in this thing where when we feel insecure, what we're lusting for is the armor of the world. God, if you would just make me Smarter and more successful. If you would just make me a little bit more in shape where I felt good about my body. If you just made my bank account go up. That's what we lust for. That's what we're driving after. It won't make us bold. Because what will you do? What will you do? When your body is no longer functioning like you hope it will. What will you do? When, frankly, your profession doesn't need you anymore. You'll need a different sort of boldness, and it's the boldness that the gospel gives us. But there's another source here, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. The centerpiece of the preaching of the early church was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Not because it was like a fancy miracle. It was a fancy miracle. But it's what it meant The resurrection of Jesus Christ meant that Jesus was who he said he was. It vindicated God's word. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was proof that Jesus really was able to redeem the people that trusted in him. His death was for their sins. His resurrection was the receipt on the payment of sins. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ was the defeat of all fears. The fear of all fears. Death. Death. That's the fear of all fear. Now, modern people, you know, we tend to sort of normalize fear, death. It's just a biological process, right? No one really believes that. First of all, we're more than biological people. And so you'll hear most people that will have to add on to death, but you're going to go to some a better place. People that really wouldn't say they're religious or spiritual, you'll hear that in that desperation, that moment to say, but they're going to go to a better place. Upon what rationality can you say that? I mean, let's just be rational logic. Upon what basis can someone make that claim? The only basis you'll find is if you are actually attached to an eternal being who has defeated death. And this is who Jesus Christ claims to be. The only reason you can believe that death won't be worse. Why? We don't see many movies about the afterlife where things look worse, do we? It really says something about our narcissism and our egoism. We couldn't imagine for a second that it could be worse. Some people that are living hell on earth right now, they could tell us a different story. Listen, sometimes we have to hear the bad news before we hear the good news, right? I had this experience uh, several years ago where I went to hear Dr. Ralph Stanley Sing. And he's an old bluegrass singer. And if you've ever seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Has anybody ever seen that movie? There's this song in the middle of it, Oh Death. It's just this gravelly acapella,
2: Oh
1: Death, you know? And I had a chance to hear him sing that live. Meg Meg and I did. And here we are in Boston, right? I'm in the heart of Boston, much like a city. It's lots of not a lot of Christians in Boston. All these people assemble to hear this. He sings this thing, and here's some of the words. Well, I'm death; None can excel. I'll open the door to heaven and hell. I'll fix your feet till you can't walk. I'll lock your jaw till you can't talk. I'll close your eyes till you can't see. This very hour, come and go with me. I mean, It was like a pin dropped. That place was quiet. And later on, when he led the whole place in the singing of Amazing Grace, we were ready for it, right? Because people realized, I need grace. It was really a beautiful moment. It's this resurrection of Christ that enables people to be ultimately bold because you realize you know, all the little fears, whether it's about your health or whether you're going to have money or whether you're going to be lonely by yourself. I mean, death is the ultimate place, really, where you lose all your stuff, you lose control of your life, and all your friends go away. And so the fears we have in this life are just little harbingers of that. But now, when you come to understand that someone has defeated that, oh, death, where is thy sting? You get bold. But how does this happen? Well, it's not a coincidence. In the book of Acts, you have two things. You have the report of God's Spirit falling upon believers, the church, and then you also find the word bold repeated throughout the book. You saw it in our passage here. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he became bold. This is one of the great encourages to myself and my cowardliness. Because when I sit there and go, God, how will you help me with my people-pleasing? How will you help me with my fears? The good news of grace is the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit will do it. That's what moved these guys beyond a locked door. It wasn't that they built up their own you know, confidence. The Holy Spirit of God gave them that. What I'm saying is this. If you were a follower of Jesus Christ tonight, or you're going to become a follower of Jesus Christ tonight, you'll have everything you need to be bold. Because you have the Holy Spirit. And what He does is He enlightens you to the grace of God. And it makes you more and more confident. You have what you need to be the person that you want to become. There's not something else out there that you need to become bolder. You have it right now. If you are someone that believes in Christ. But... Let's get to this last point, the nature of the boldness. Two things here, compassionate courage and conquering wisdom. Compassionate courage. You don't often see uh, people that are bold and also compassionate at the same time. Typically, people that are bold are not very compassionate. And people that are compassionate aren't very bold. That's usually how it goes. But you find both of those together. Peter and John have shown compassion to a beggar to a crippled beggar. Now here's the scene. They referenced it in the sermon, but if we turn back and read it, they're on their way to the temple. And just like every day, lots and lots of people went to the temple. They're walking down the streets and there were street people, just like in our city. And this guy was on the ground. He was looking down. He was probably just going like that and he was asking people to help them. Just like we will pass folks that are on the street looking down going, can you help me? And lots of people are walking by and lots of people are walking by and Peter and John stop. And this is what they say. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and he said, look at us. I have to wonder. This guy got healed and I think he never forgot he got healed. But I believe he also never forgot they looked at me. They said, I want you to lift your head up and I want you to see my face. They saw the compassion of Christ in His face. They were weak with Him. They said, you know, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have to give you is our faith and action. Compassion and courage is what they showed. The Holy Spirit moved upon them in that way, but, yet, but they were also bold. They're standing before the equivalent of the Supreme Court of their day. This is who they're testifying for. The same court that killed Jesus Christ. And this is the boldness that they have. They're not people pleasers, but they're also not needlessly offensive. And this was the interesting part of the early church. And I think the church today struggles to be it. You got churches that are really like, we'll accept everybody and they won't ever tell you the truth. You got churches that are just like hammering the truth and they won't show you any grace. But in the early church, what you found was this. They were speaking the truth and they were getting persecuted, but at the same time they were adding to their numbers and they had favor with all the people. One of the commentators said it this way. As a church, they were both suffering sharp persecution and enjoying enormous popularity. They were both attractive and growing, yet hated and attacked. Insensitive, harsh Christians will have persecution but not praise. Cowardly Christians will have praise but not persecution. But the Holy Spirit can produce both in the same person. This ability, I saw this again last night. Uh, you know, one of the speakers, again, a, a man that had been um, put in prison for his faith. And he, he, he was really a dynamic guy. And he stood up and he said, uh, I'm not going to tell you my testimony because I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. Now, I don't think telling your testimony makes you a victim. But he was, he was trying to make a point. He said, I'm a victor. And even though our opponents might kill our body, they'll never kill our soul. Now, you could expect it at that moment that he would just run down that road. But then he stopped and he said, and yet we also show grace and love them because today's persecutor may be tomorrow my brother and my sister. I thought, man, there you have both of them together. And that's what we are to be as God's people. It's something that you don't often see. It's something only the Holy Spirit can produce. But there's also, lastly, conquering wisdom. Why were the religious leaders so afraid? Were they afraid that the apostles would stir up a crowd and create an army and go against them? No. Were they afraid about the miracle? Like the the power of expression? The expression of power, rather? No. You know what they were afraid of? They were afraid of words. They were afraid of the wisdom of the gospel that is more persuasive than any army or any miracle. They were afraid of the way that God's wisdom undoes foolishness and foolish philosophies. Here you have Peter, an uneducated, common person, and he outlogics the best of their religious leaders. This is his logic, right? He says, Well, think about this. You can't deny that we don't have the power because this man is healed. And you have to recognize it's the same power that Jesus had. So if Jesus is using power to still heal people, that means that he can also save people and you can't stop him. That's essentially what Peter says to them. They're confounded by his wisdom. But this was something that Jesus promised. Jesus said this once to his disciples before they knew anything, you know, before they could envision the the moment they were in. Listen to what he says. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That's the promise. One of the things that holds us back from speaking out about our faith is, how will I sound and what will I say? You know, will I sound intelligent? And will I know the right things to say? And of course the Bible talks about being prepared to give an answer for the things you believe in, but... The basis of the boldness is not that. The basis of the boldness is that God's spirit will show up and he will give you what to say. Now, I think what happens is many times we're so locked up in our fears, we can't get quiet to hear God's voice. But if we're standing before, you know, if we stop fearing the people we're standing before and we stop fearing for how we sound and we have a quiet moment for God, he'll speak to you. And what he says will be so different. It won't be just taking someone's legs out from under them. Nor will it just be something that's kind of mamby-pamby. It'll be be both grace and truth at the same time. Because that's what the wisdom of the gospel always brings. And the outcomes of the words mean the success doesn't depend on us. That's something that begins to free you up when you realize, you know, I'm not in charge of the results. I'm just to open my voice and speak. I'm to open my voice and let God bring the word of His grace and truth and so I, I, let me review this real quick to close. And then I want to I put a challenge before you. What we've just said is this. If we could draw a little arrow to boldness. One, we need to, we need to throw off our false boldness. And that comes with vulnerability. That thing that you tend to fall upon, you need to actively every day push it away. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's a basic confidence we get through experience in life and you know, being equipped and things like Yes, we do, but you know what I'm talking about. If it's that thing that you're always... Right, you need to throw it off. The next thing, then, is you need to let God's grace become your armor. The armor of God begins to be the very thing that's on you. After that... We need to be able to know the gospel and believe the gospel so well that it begins to come out. But this week, I I want to put this before you. Uh, Would you pray that God gives you the opportunity to speak about your faith to someone who you're afraid of? Someone who you're fearful of? Would you pray that? And I wonder if we could share those stories in our community group next week. If you're in a community group. If you're not, you can share it with anybody here in the community. I'd like to hear those stories. I'm gonna pray for that this week for myself. And would we find that God liberates us? I think we will. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the one that makes your people bold thank you for the way the grace of god conquers hearts i pray that you would help us here we are uh, locked behind the doors of our fears some of us are bold but we need love some of us got a lot of love but we don't have any boldness take us as we are and give us your holy spirit in christ's name amen
2: thank you glenn As you heard, the church is called to be both compassionate and courageous. And the secret to being that is right here, as Glenn alluded to. And they had been with Jesus. Compassion is not something we work up, and courage is not something that we grow in, per se. But it's the fruit of understanding the gospel and understanding it deeply, to be with Jesus. And that's what this table represents. We believe that Christ is here by His Spirit. And so as we come by faith, receiving these elements, we're with Jesus. And if you are here tonight, and you're still working your way through the questions of who is Jesus, and what does the gospel mean to me, now wouldn't be the time for you to come and participate. We encourage you to wrestle through those questions first. And if you would like to speak with Glenn or myself or with Tom or anyone else from this church, we would love to talk to you more about Jesus and answer your questions. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you.